0: I'm going to ask you to turn to Luke's Gospel. If you have a copy of the Scriptures, we're in number 15. Luke number 15, please, in God's Word. I want to read just a few verses in John's Gospel. That's chapter 3. And then we'll come back to Luke 15. If you'll turn with us in the Word of God. Real joy to greet you this morning, and I count this a special privilege to stand here and open God's Word with you again. I often quote the verse, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty, times of refreshings come from His presence. And those verses are very appropriate for our gathering this morning, wonderful sense of God's presence in this place. And I tell your music, I mean, it's just, well, of as I'm concerned it's the best. I'm in over 50 churches a year, and I don't want to reflect on any in a negative way, but uh, I just like what I sense and what I feel here. And I've worshipped this morning. While the music's been going, I've lifted my heart and praised Him, and I tell you, I bless Him for His presence here. Preacher mentioned about uh, in the beginning and when we were praying that we were... He had a comment uh, in particular about revival, and that is my burden, that is my ministry... And so, but this morning I'm not going to be dealing as uh, in particular with that subject. I'm coming to another truth. And the Lord willing tonight, uh, and then again tomorrow night and through Wednesday night, we'll be bringing messages geared a little bit more uh, to this business of spiritual awakening, divine intervention, spiritual renewal, what's involved in that uh, new beginning of obedience to God. When our walk again is intact and close and aware of His presence, Uh, a man that I have great respect for when it comes to the subject of revival, and I heard his response when they asked him, they said, Doctor, just what is revival? And he said, Revival is a person or a place or a community saturated with the presence of God. I like that. It's just God coming on the scene, and so we are trusting that God will do that in these days together. John's gospel, perhaps uh, these passages are some of the best known scripture in all the Bible. Our Lord is speaking in verse 14 of John 3. He says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that Whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. In the Luke's account, the 15th chapter, our Lord gives us a parable. I have heard it referred to as three parables, but I prefer to say that it's a parable. Verse 3, he said he spake this parable. It's in three parts. And uh, there's two basic truths that he intends for those listening to him in, in that day and, of course, for us today to get hold of, I think, from this Scripture. He talks about a shepherd that's lost one of his sheep and he goes out looking for it. And he searches until he finds it. He talks about a woman that has ten pieces of silver. She loses one piece and she takes a light and she sweeps her house and she begins to diligently seek till she finds it. And then he talks about a man who has two sons. Verse 12, the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me, he divided unto them his living, and not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey to a far country. There wasted his substance with riotous living. When he'd spent all, there rose a mighty famine in that land, he began to be in want. He went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. He would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough in despair, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. He arose and came to his father, but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion, and ran, fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to the servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him, put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet, bring hither the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. I call our attention to a word that we find in these scriptures four times. Once in verse number 24, find it back in verse 4, find it in verse 6, and then again in verse number 9. It's that word lost. In verse number 4, he talks about that lost sheep. Verse number 6, he has uh, the shepherd saying, Come rejoice with me, I found my sheep that was lost. Down in verse 9, the woman finds the piece of silver that she lost and they're rejoicing that she's found and she's, uh, she's recovered that which was lost. And then in verse 24, the father says, this is my son, he was lost and is found. And they begin to be merry. Two truths this morning that I trust the Lord will impress on our hearts, not only the lostness of man, But what the Pharisees didn't understand was the love of God. What God thought about these that they refer to as publicans and sinners. The parable came out of the criticism that was leveled against our Lord when they found fault with Him and murmured against Him and said, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. And our Lord, as He was wont to do, would take just a simple little story to illustrate a truth. And as it were, he held it up as a mirror, trying to get them to see what they didn't understand about lost humanity, and then about the compassion of our great God that we've been singing about this morning. Permit me for a moment to tell you about a phone call that came to our place and brought this scripture, when I responded to it, brought this scripture to my heart again in a forceful way some time ago I've been in the St. Louis area and uh, it's about a five hour drive from home and uh, my wife said to me there's a call came in a little earlier I'd call when I left she expected me at a certain time and she said I I told him that you would return the call uh, when you got here and so I called the call came from a hospital local hospital and it was from a family that, to oh, all my a number of years ago in my early ministry, uh, they would attend our place. Especially members of his family, he came some, uh, and his wife and children. They were there more than he was, and and relatives of theirs were members of that fellowship. But they've moved away. They've been gone now for these years, and now they're in uh, our area again. And uh, he's in the hospital, and he's critically ill. And when I returned the call, his wife answered and she told me uh, why she called and said, Brother Hurt, he, he asked if I would call and he wonders if you would come see him. She said, I'll just let him tell you. She said, I will say this, this was early afternoon. She said this morning, the doctors, when he asked them to be rather frank with him and As his words were, be up front with him about his condition. And the doctor was real up front and said to him, well, as far as we're concerned, you won't leave this hospital. And said, you know, we're amazed that you was even able to get here in which he'd walked in the hospital a few days prior. But the doctor says, "You, you probably just have days to live. And he did. And so he asked his wife to call me. I, I repeat, I hadn't seen him in a long time, years. Uh, he's a man, 57 years old, been away from our area at least, uh, I would say, 20 years. And, uh, but back there at this special hospital, and when I got there, he asked his wife if she would slip out of the room and said, I, I need to speak with Brother Hurd alone, and I'm going to express to you just what that man said to me. i would never had anyone before or since. Uh, asked me the question in the way that he asked it. And his voice took on some emotion after he talked a little bit about his condition and he said, they're probably right. Doctors tell me that I could go into a coma just like that and there's no hope at all for me. And here's what he said. He said, Brother Hurt, he was kind to me. He said, I told my wife you'd tell me the truth. I'm trusting you to tell me the truth. He said... I'm dying, I'm a sinner. What does God think about sinners? He didn't have any knowledge of the scriptures in any detail. And I can't say to this audience what uh, I sensed and felt and was aware of in, in that hospital room when that man, out of the depths of his heart, struggled to express that. I'm dying, preacher. I'm a sinner. I'm afraid to die. What does God think about sinners? I repeat, I've never had the question put to me that pointedly. I read out of the uh, heart of a dying man. Uh, incidentally, I had his funeral just all oh, less than two weeks from the day I'm talking to him. And... Uh, I immediately, the moment he started uh, telling me about his condition, when I was aware of why he wanted me there, I prayed. I lifted my heart in the sincere prayers he was telling me. I said, Lord, I-, I want your word, your wisdom. I don't want to just give this man some pat information. What scripture do you want me to share with him here at his point of need? And I do not hear God all. that people come to faith in Christ. But as clearly as I've ever had God impress me, the Lord said, tell him what I said about sinners and what I thought about sinners when I was here upon earth and when they criticized me for being a friend to sinners. And I turned to Luke 15. I quoted John 3.16. I turned to this chapter I had him to look at this verse and I said, notice what it says, this man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. I also had him to look at the criticism coming from the religious elite, the religious leaders of of his day because of his association, as they put it, with sinners. And then we just read this slowly, prayerfully. I read all of this parable. Read every word of it. God had me to stop and comment about the shepherd. Wasn't content just with the 99, but he left his 99, and he's interested in just one lost sheep. God had me to talk about the woman, still had nine pieces, but she's not content as long as one of them is lost. She sweeps diligently. And I talked to him about a suffering shepherd. I talked to him about a searching woman. And then basically I talked to him about a suffering Father. A father who has a boy that's gone away from him. But the story indicates that he grieves over him. He has a longing for him. He has such a heart toward him that when he saw him, even at a distance, he, he ran to him. And, and this to me is a wonderful picture of God in this sense. In, nowhere else in the Scripture am my aware that God's God indicates that he's ever in a hurry. But here our Lord, in telling the story to people that didn't know the grace of God and the goodness of God and the love of God to us poor sinners, he said, let me show you, the father ran. And he got out where he was at, had compassion on him. Oh, I can't tell this audience how the Spirit of God paid a visit in that room, manifest the presence of God. He gripped that man and just held him spellbound as if you pitched a net over him, and and it was so obvious God was taking the Word of God and creating faith and, and the grace of God being revealed to this man. And when I went through these, he said, would He receive me right now? And I said, He surely will. And I showed Him as many as received Him to them. Gave you the power, means the authority, the right to become children of God. In less time it takes me to tell you, He trusted the Lord. It's like you turned the light on Him. He was so full of fear and dread, was expressed all in that dying man's countenance. And, and now, I mean, His entire countenance has changed. He didn't even want his wife to hear me. He said to her, if you wouldn't mind, close the door and go to the waiting room. <laughs> well, he said to me, would you go down to the waiting room and get my wife? Well, I didn't have to go to the waiting room. She's got her ear to the door right beside the door. <laughs> See, she has a relationship with the Lord. Though she hasn't been walking with Him, she told me, they hadn't been regular in their worship, and, and she's weak, but she does have a relationship with the Lord. Of course, she wants to hear her dying husband. That may die today. The doctor said, "You know, you you perhaps could not have over one day left." And here he is dying and calling for a preacher that he'd heard years ago, and saying, "He'll tell me what God says." I I came to this scripture this morning. Pardon me if it's personal, but I relived. That came as real to me over that motel room this morning as if I was in that room with that dying man. His wife came in. The very first words he said to her, he said, I won't tell you, I'm not afraid anymore. as he said it, he he began to cry, and and there was such rejoicing. And I can't tell you, God came. I've had the joy of seeing God come in a lot of meetings, but I think as I thought about it this morning, the manifestation of God's presence and power and glory in that room. Oh, we laughed, we cried, we lifted our hands and just worshipped in that room because a sinner had come home. What really gripped me this morning, Jesus, and tell his story to people that didn't really they didn't know the love of God in this sense. Of course they didn't care about the lostness of man. Jesus there giving himself to poor fallen men. And the text, what gripped me again this morning, verse one, says, then drew near unto him. They took the initiative. There's something about Jesus that was winsome and it would draw people. And these poor fallen sinners looked at him and said, We're welcome. And they took the initiative. They drew near. And this self-righteous bunch of Pharisees, they responded with their criticism and in their self-righteousness and said, This man receiveth sinners. What really gripped me again this morning, listen to me carefully, the Lord seemed to say to me, Have you lost sight of the lostness of man? You know, you got family members and loved ones and neighbors and friends. If they die in that condition, they're going to be lost forever. him to say to me again this morning, they won't come on their own. They're not able to do it. When he went back, he said, I'm sending someone in my place. And when he's come, he's the one that that brings people to Christ. But he doesn't work from heaven. He works, he he indwells believers in this age. And he's here and he wants to love people through us. He wants to reach people through us. I basically said to that man three things, and his question to me when I responded, though I didn't put it just like this, but let me drop these three words into your thinking this morning. What does God think about sinners? He grieves over their going. When this boy left, what the Pharisees didn't understand that there was a father who grieved over the waywardness, over the lostness, over the going away. And he pictures this father here. Of course, they had no grief because they didn't care. They are not suffering like this father is suffering because they had no love. You see, the greater the capacity of a person's love, the greater the capacity for that person to suffer. The reason we don't suffer over some people, we don't care for them. But if you have a deep concern for somebody, if you love somebody and they're in trouble, oh, you express your concern through your suffering and your grief and your burden. And so here's a father grieving over that boy, going away. I was in the Dallas area preaching some time ago and I'd made a statement similar to that and brought into focus. We see the father's heart basically when uh, he's watching for that boy, uh, saw him at a distance. And a couple talked to me after the service. I thought about him this morning, thinking about this. And my heart just was, my heart was touched again this morning as I listened to their story. And he said, We had a boy left home, Brother We hadn't heard from him in over three years now. His voice took on some emotion. He's a teenage boy. Left home when he was 15. We don't even know where he's at I don't have any idea. I haven't ever heard a word from him. We don't know whether he's alive or, or dead. His wife stood there and the tears, literally trickled down her cheeks while he's telling me about it. But here's what, I, what he said that I want to share with you. He said, Brother Hurt, I go up to his room. A lot of times I wake early in the morning. I go up to his room. His room was upstairs. We live near a park. The park has a lot of lights. I can see all through there. He said, just two days ago, I was preaching on in an evening, just two days ago, he said, I went up to his room, three or four o'clock in the morning, I couldn't sleep. I went up there and bowed down in his room prayed for him. Prayed if he's still alive, God, would you be close to our boy? God, would you let, would you let our boy come home? He said, then I went over and pulled the curtains back, and he said, I, I looked as far as I could see. He said, this scripture here, see, they've come to this scripture so many times. He said, you know what I was thinking about? If I could just see him. If I could just see that boy. More than anything in this world, that dear man with a broken heart said, I'm longing for it. I could see that boy coming. Well, he'd fit the picture, at least in this sense this morning. There's a father grieving over his going." But here's a father not only grieving over his going, here's a father rejoicing over his returning. Pharisees couldn't get a hold of that. In every part of his parable, he has someone saying, Come with me, let's let's rejoice. I mean, that which was lost, it's found. He calls his friends and his neighbors. The lady calls her neighbors together and says, Rejoice, I've found the piece of silver that was lost. And the father said to the servants, Put the best robe on him, put a ring on his finger, shoes on his feet, and kill the fatted calf. And so we'll have a party. Let's be merry. Oh, what does God think about us poor sinners? He not only grieves over our going, He rejoices over our returning. Oh, when He sees a sinner coming home, there's joy in the heart of the Father. There's joy in heaven. God seemed to say to me this morning, what's your response when you hear of somebody getting saved? Does it still excite you? Does it still stir you when you see people walk aisles? See if we're not careful. I preached a series through here when I was a pastor and I'm titled one of the sermons and it was painful to have to, have to express it but the question was a title of my sermon. is was a question and, and it was this. Who, after we've studied this, we spent four weeks in this. There's four parts. There's another part after these three. And then we asked the question, who are we the most like? The Pharisees in the story or the Lord in the story? See, he talks about the elder brother a little bit later. And and I've already said it was painful to have to admit if we're not careful, sometimes we more identify with these self-righteous, cold, indifferent Pharisees than we do the Savior that's got a broken heart. That's why we have to have revival periodically. If God didn't give us renewal periodically, only God knows where we'd wander to. That's what revival is. It's a new a beginning of obedience, of love to sinners again, a burden for sinners again. He grieved over his going. He rejoiced over his return, and uh, Let me digress and say this. I don't mean to be unkind in, in what I'm about to say, and I don't mean it that way, but I listened to a preacher on the radio coming home some time ago, late at night, in one of those powerful stations, I think out of, out of Texas somewhere, now Rio, Texas, there's a powerful station, or El Paso perhaps, and, and, you, and late at night you can hear it all over the country. And they have some preaching on it. And you can hear some interesting preaching, to say the least, on those powerful stations late at night. And there's a fella. He is on the prodigal here, and he's doing some good preaching. I'm just talking back to him. I'm saying, "Amen, brother. That's good. Glory to God." And then he came across to something, and I, and I verbally I responded. I said, "Oh no, you got that wrong." <laughs> you know, nobody else there but me. But I'm just talking the radio. And uh, you know what? After he's preached some good stuff, then he has that boy coming home. Instead of having the the father rejoicing and going out to welcome him. He sort of puts it like this as a servant. Take him out back and, and, and hose him down and scrub him real good and clean him up. And then the father's going to let him come in after he cleans him up. Well, that's why it shocked that audience. Listen, now, granted, he need the bath. He's been the hog pen. You ever been around a pig pen? <laughs> I got a son that's a hog farmer. (laughs) He belongs to pork producers up in Indiana. And he he has hogs by the hundreds, long big, those big, huge barns full of them. And if you've ever been around those barns, you you, you need to be scrubbed down. Amen. (laughs) Uh, So I don't doubt he needs to bath, but see, that's that's the point of the parable. The father went out there and put his arms around him, smelling all. Put a kiss on his cheek, smelling all. Well, oh, I love that song, Just As I Am Without One Place. That's, that's the way, that's the only way we can come. A lot of religions, a lot of churches, they have people trying to reform. and, and Instead of trying to receive a person, they want to try to clean them up before they receive them. I uh, had, a, had a man say something that stayed with me not long ago. He said, God catches his fish before he cleans them. Amen. And I like that. See, he'll catch him before he cleans him. Most of us have got to change a person. We've got to change him to our attitudes and our way of thinking. And people know when we're trying to change them instead of receiving them. Any church I know that's winning people to God, they are winning them and loving them for who they are, where they are. And that's the point of this parable. He grieved over his going, he rejoiced over his returning. And thirdly, he treated him as though he had never gone away. Put him right back and put, if you understand the, the imagery of these different things he talks about, that robe he put on him, that ring he put on him, those shoes he put on him, and said, let's have a party. My boy has come home. And I think a couple of years ago, I may have shared in a sermon what I'm about to close with, but bear with me for just a moment. Uh, emphasizes in a sweet way. I, I thought about it this morning. I could give you the particulars of this, but... Suffice it just to, just to mention a hospital, large hospital in a southern city. A lady telling about it. A Christian doctor put on the case of a little orphan that was brought in. And she says, a pitiful little fella. Knew nothing about him. He'd been abandoned. And this little abandoned fella just uh, left him alone. No one loved him. No one cared for him. And so he was brought to that hospital. And this lady telling the story, she said that uh, she, was, she was glad to see the doctor that was put on his case because this doctor was a committed Christian that loved Jesus and knew that he would give him the best of care and said he spent considerable amount of time with that little abandoned ba- little fella And then he came and when he took his chart she said, I was in charge of the floor there where he's at. And he took down and he spent some time with a red marker writing us a note. And she said, after he left, I went over and picked it up and here's what the good doctor said to him in the note. He says, love kindly, tenderly, and patiently. Increase the dosage daily because the disease is fatal. I heard that and made a note of it. And I thought if God would speak to us, He'd probably tell us, go out, there's a fatal disease. And they need somebody to love them tenderly, patiently, kindly. Yet a lot of people don't even know that our great God that we've been worshiping in song this morning, what He thinks about poor sinners. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Oh, that God would share His love and shed it abroad in our hearts with the Holy Spirit toward the lostness of man. Now all over the room, our heads are bowed, eyes are closed. God's people in a moment of quietness and prayer My part's finished. I'm going to ask the pastor if he'd be kind. He'll come. He'll close us as God leads him this morning. And I want to kneel here and just thank God first for who he is and what what he's done that enables us to come to him. And then I'm going to ask him to do something in my heart that will cause me to feel toward lost people, at least in a measure the way he feels. You want to join me, there's plenty of room this morning for us to meet with God. Pastor, you just come. You close the service this morning as God leads you. Our heads are bowed.